Good morning. It is uh, the 14th, Saturday the 14th, and uh, it is about 8.07, I think, 32 degrees out here. Kind of sad when 32 degrees sounds, oh, that's not so bad. Um, yeah, so 8 o'clock, two hours late for my normal walk. But that's because it's Saturday. Saturday, and I slept in, which means that instead of getting up at five, I got up at six. For some reason, I've got the hiccups. Sorry if I seem to stutter. Um. So. Yeah, let's see. Got up at six. Uh, did my words. Got about a thousand forty there. And uh, I kind of like that pace a little more. Takes closer to an hour to uh, do the writing, but it's not so bad because. Uh, um, I don't know. Not, I wasn't as worried about getting everything done, so I'd be ready for work. So it was just nice to take it a little bit more leisurely. Well, at the same time, making sure I actually do get up. I get the feeling that this is one of those things where I can really screw up my internal clock if uh, I sleep in on weekends, which is probably why. I mean, I'm no scientist, but it would make sense to say that that's why people feel so rotten on Mondays. It's because they sleep in over the weekend and then don't on Monday. So it feels like everything's crashing down on them. I was reading the other day that if you have a meat diet, you have a certain kind of bacteria in your stomach and that it only takes about two days of a changed diet to uh, make massive changes to your intestinal flora, if that's the word, I don't know, the bacteria. Anyway, so, morning. Uh, yeah. Come on, puppy. We start to cross the street, and that's when Miss Ripley decided to stop. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, don't ever stop. I'm just saying she doesn't give you a lot of warning. Anyway, um, so let's see. Yesterday, we went to the uh, Christmas party for the company. 
I like the fact that the company does one for the kids and one for the adults. It's kind of cool. But I'll admit, I was not really looking forward to the party because I'm not... Uh, in years past, it's just been people standing around trying to chat with one another. And uh, we have enough people in the company to have completely disparate views on a bunch of different stuff, so it makes it hard to stand around and chat with a bunch of people. However, this year, they had a casino theme. So when you walked in, you got fake money, which you could then use to buy chips, which you could then use to play card games. I played Texas Hold'em for a while, not because I was trying to be sociable. I like blackjack better, I like the odds, but it's not a real sociable game. So anyway, um, I like this a lot better. It makes it a lot easier to chat with people when there's... It's like having your hands busy. I'm, I'm one of those people that I think better when my hands are busy. I used to... Uh, I used to do cross-stitch while I was watching TV. Which is uh, basically like... You take a piece of cloth, and you take some thread, and you start drawing little X's over the thread. I mean, over the cloth. X's made out of different colored threads. So that, in the end, you've got a picture. And it looks homey. And, uh, I don't know, it's very, uh... It's very relaxing, because it's very simple, very straightforward, and in the end you've got something that you can show. It was actually that skill which allowed me to sew the words, don't panic, in large friendly letters across the cover of my uh, Nexus 7. A joke which, sadly, too few people get. Anyway, um, wow, how did I get to that? Uh, cross-stitch, keeping your hands busy, poker, right. We got, uh, $500, uh, when we walked in, 500 fake dollars. And I think I was up to about 750 when we cashed out, so not bad. I'll tell you, I play stupid better than anybody. They'd call for the big blind and the little blind, and I'm just like, dude, just tell me how much, you know, of the little ones to put in, how many little red chips. So they'd tell me, and then I'd bet like an idiot. Tiny, tiny, tiny bets, and then massive bets. Five, five, one hundred. And, uh... So, yeah. Fairly effective bluffing technique. Because uh, they basically really bought the idea I had no idea what I was doing. And so that made it look like I had no skill at bluffing. Which made them all assume, oh, well, we can just keep on raising and he doesn't know, he doesn't have anything because he's an open book. 
Meanwhile, I'm sitting there chattering and uh, making jokes and talking to people and and they're all trying to, well, not all of them. There were some people who were there to have fun, but there were a couple of people who were getting all serious, you know, they, they want to have their mirrored glasses and stuff like that. You know, Texas hold them serious business. And uh, so, yeah, they, they figured every time I made a big bet, I had to be serious because I had no skill at bluffing. So I'd make the first few hands, I mean the first few cards, fairly low bets, 5, 5, 20, and then the others would think, oh, he's got nothing, I've got a fairly decent hand, I'm going to go ahead and push that up to 20 or 40 or 50, go, oh, okay. Then the last one would come out and I'd go like, ooh, okay, and I'd immediately throw in 100, this is going to be awesome. And uh, then they fold, assuming that, you know, world's worst bluffer. And then I end up with not the hundred that I would have gotten if they'd called, or actually more often than not, I wouldn't have gotten it if they'd called, but so I didn't get the hundred and they feel like they won. Meanwhile, I got bunches and bunches and bunches of slightly smaller denomination. I got lots and lots of twenties instead of hundreds. Cause that's how I think. I think in terms of volume and small denominations. And I think a lot of uh, other players want to think in terms of the big win. I do marathons, not sprints. Which is kind of the, uh, you know, <laughs> writing them the words every morning. Do a thousand words every morning. I don't try and write a Lowell. By the way, um, in case you run into that term again and don't know what it means, a Lowell is a unit of measuring speed defined as 10,000 words per day. It was uh, something that Nathan Lowell did once. I don't know if he did it regularly or if he just did it for a little while, but in any case, um, I think it was Nobilis who uh, made the unit of measurement based on Nathan Lowell's productivity. <sighs> so anyway, yeah, I'm not going to write a Lowell, but I'm going to write a thousand words and I'm going to do it in a little less than an hour and I'm going to do it every day. I'm a little over a third of the way. I mean, we're into the second week of the second month, and I've got about 36,000 words. So a little more than a third of the way through. And uh, and that comes of not massive sprints, but tiny little runs every day, little marathon runs. So anyway, that's nice. There's a cat in our neighborhood that uh, we think has owners. The EP tells us 
she knows who the owners are. But the cat is always walking around without a collar. Sweetest, most lovable cat there is. At the same time, you know that thing has to be able to take care of itself because there are raccoons in our area. I mean, we live right next to a forest, so yeah. I remember the very first day we moved in here. It was really dark and, uh, well, I mean, first night, I suppose. It was really dark and as we were un unloading boxes, we heard the yowl of a, uh, a rabbit being caught, killed, and eaten by some feral creature. So, Circle of Life is, is alive and well near our home. So anyway, yeah, so that makes us think that Killer, for we've been told that that's his name, is, uh, is able to handle himself. He, uh, well, he doesn't go away. He's always there. Well, not always. He comes and goes. But, uh, he stays healthy despite all this, so. There must be people taking care of him. And like I said, the EP says that there are owners. Last night when we got in, it was really late, like nearly one o'clock, because uh, we'd stayed up to watch the desolation of Smaug. And, uh, <clears throat> and so when we got home, we saw Killer out there, yowling and rubbing up against people and being all friendly, because he's a very friendly cat. And, uh, and then the EP tells us that she thinks the family that quote-unquote owns him, uh, that they left for Christmas. Well, first off, I'm a little, I'm a little suspect at the idea that people are getting up and leaving two weeks before Christmas, but whatever. Even assuming that she's right, we don't know that those were her was uh, those were killers owners anyway. All the same, my wife Allie is. powerfully compassionate soul and so she immediately started agonizing about it about the idea that this cat would be left outside in freezing temperatures we got uh, we got some of our cat's food we put it outside we got some water, we put it outside. We got a cardboard box and we put some old 
towels in it. We put it outside. If he is owned by somebody, and if that somebody has not left for Christmas, then... And we don't know what house they live in. So, if all that's the case, then we shouldn't really be taking him in because he's supposed to go home when he gets really cold. But if that's not the case, we wanted to do as much as we could to help him out. So, we did. And, uh, well, I saw him this morning, so he must be doing okay. He didn't even finish the food. I mean, didn't even really make a serious dent in it. Personally, I think it's because he's, uh, he's good enough at the hunt and prefers the game that he gets in the woods. That's just my guess. Anyway, so yeah, we did that. We've got our, uh, our Christmas today. Since the EP is uh, going to visit with Allie's ex for Christmas, we uh, moved up Christmas to another date so that we'd still be able to celebrate. So we're getting together with our friends, the Cruzans, and we're all going to be opening presents around lunchtime, and that'll be nice. got into a bit of an argument yesterday with Allie because basically I'd seen this thing that uh, I'm the type of person who puts a lot more stock in things that are useful than uh, decorations. I mean decorations are good as decorations but if you're going to make something it needs to be able to do its job really well before you start adding in all the frills and decorations that's the way i work and uh so i found this thing and i was looking looking for it and found the best one for what i needed and then i posted a little comment on twitter saying hey hey Allie, look and what I just left in my Amazon wish list. And she then spent half an hour looking for something better. My argument was better subjective because you don't know what I'm looking for. And she didn't contact me to say, why are you looking at this piece of crap? There are better things out there. And then I could have argued, no, it's not better because it has this feature instead of that feature and blah, 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 blah. 
I'd have been cool with that. But she said that because it was a gift, she was expected to use her superior research skills to find the best deal possible and to find the best option. So she spent half an hour on a day when she really didn't have a half hour to spend. Spent half an hour looking for something better and ended up with something that didn't help me at all. So I got mad at her because I said, look, I told you exactly what I want. This is not what I wanted to get at all. And then she got mad at me. I spent half an hour looking for this. I, I got you. Did you see the reviews for that piece of crap you chose? I said, yes, I, I chose it because of the things that, you know, the features that I need. It's not about reviews. It had 12 reviews. Who's going to base a electronics purchase on 12 reviews? Anyway. So she was mad at me because I had apparently wasted her time by making her look for it. And I was saying, I didn't make you look for anything. I told you there. That's the thing that I wanted. And it got angry and it got heated and I'm hoping that it's not going to be a long-term problem but it does cast a pall over the whole idea of giving a gift. So, yeah. So that sucks. What else? Uh, we did go to see The Hobbit. And uh, it was cool, of course. Lots of people are, oh, I didn't like this. I didn't like that. I didn't leave, like them leaving us on a cliffhanger. I'm like, seriously, this book was written in 1930s. This book is 80 years old. Are you saying he left it on a cliffhanger? Anyway, they're, they're upset because they were hoping for more. I mean, it basically, leave it at smog going to Lake Town to kill off all the Lake Town people. And people were upset because they wanted to see the big battle. Not me. I'll admit, I expected them to take smog down in this one, but uh, But it's not like a deal breaker, you know? I mean, this is gonna be three movies. Like, I have to know what happens next. Read the book. Anyway, um, so yeah, the animation was absolutely beautiful. I mean, you see some of the screenshots and some of the previews and stuff, and it looks like They've made a very pretty model, but 
In fact, what they've done is put a ridiculous amount of work into fully animating the creature. Face and everything. I mean, beautiful lip sync. Very fluid movements. Very realistic. Lots of uh, unconscious ticks for the creature as it's that's probably one of the most noticeable things about good animation. When you have something that's standing perfectly still and occasionally moves its mouth, you're talking about Hanna-Barbera. But when you have a creature that shifts its weight from foot to foot, occasionally scratches at some phantom itch, something like that, then that feels real. I remember one of the first Balticons I went to, Dr. Smar was talking about how much he loved Calls for Cthulhu, because he said, the puppet, while he's listening to people talk, he'll reach up and stroke one of the tentacles. And he just thought that was the coolest thing. To me, that was, you know, you're doing puppetry, you're, you're trying to simulate a living thing. And living things don't stand still. To me, that made perfect sense. And it's almost unconscious. But he recognized this is something we don't get very often in animation or puppetry. So, I really liked how much they did with uh, Smog. I mean, they did a whole lot of, he moves from place to place very quickly, of course, because he's massive and strong. And, uh, but he's inside of dwarven ruins where the walls are cracking and the pillars are unstable, unable to take his weight. And he shifts about trying to get his equilibrium on the gigantic mountains of gold. It was very realistic. It was really, really well done. Like all of Peter Jackson's uh, Middle Earth stuff, it's more of a love letter to the source than anything else. Here comes a little puppy. I swear it looks like a piglet. Let's do this, Ripley. Let's act like we're gonna go play tennis. Let the little barky dog go. And no, we're not gonna play tennis. We're going to rejoin the original path after they already passed. Oh, what logistical skill. Anyway, so. Yeah, the Hobbit was great. The, uh, the tacked on love triangle 
was really kind of painful. I mean, it's not my movie, it's their movie, they can do what they want. And I like that they got a lot of the source material and they put it in like uh, Gandalf meeting with Thorin the year before they meet Bilbo. I thought that was cool. But some of the stuff that was added in is just kind of dumb. Legolas was never part of it. And seems kind of pointless in it. And then, uh, yeah, just the whole unrequited love story is... It's not that I mind the fact that they did it, it's that it was so ham-fisted. It's like you started off a movie with two characters, and one of them looks at the other one, jostles his friend's elbow, and says, Who is that? She's beautiful. Okay, well, we've established within seconds our initial conflict, getting the girl. And it felt just about that obvious. Long, lingering looks, shy smiles. Shy smiles in the middle of a fight with a band of orcs. So, yeah. Anyway, it's their movie. They can do it how they want. Uh, what else? Went to the party. I got a little work done at work, but ran into some difficulties. So, not as much as I would have liked. So that, uh, that one section that I'm writing right now, the one where we talk about how the other half lives, it's now up to like six or 7,000 words. It was supposed to be about 1,500. By comparison, in general, my chapters are about five to 6,000 words each. So, having one section of one chapter, it's going to end up being about seven or 8,000 words. It's kind of a coup. They need to break it up, have some other things going on elsewhere. I've got several different storylines, but that one seems to have dominated the writing for the last week or so. Got uh, Scepter trying to find his way back home. I've got the nobility trying to deal with the events at the end of Invito Rex. I have plots 
and scheming going on. Just lots of stuff, and I'm afraid that having taken all this time with one aspect, it's going to make it seem like this is the real story, everything else is just backdrop. And that's not the case. Hello, dear. It's cool. You're a deer. I'm a person. I have a dog. The dog is nice and hasn't even seen you yet. Hello, dear. We cool? I'm not a danger to you. You can go on eating if you want. Just taking your picture, buddy. Or ma'am, I suppose. How about you? We good? Wow, you're pretty young. Hello. No, we're good. We're good. It's okay. Oh, well. I'd like to throw him food, except one, don't have food. Two, I don't want them trotting up to other humans saying, give me food. It's a shame though, they are quite pretty. Let's see. So. What's next? We're kind of running low on funds right now, but as soon as we get money again, I want to put together a BookBub promo for NBDRX. I have to get those podcasts done. I have to get those two episodes done. That's gonna be my main goal. After all the family stuff, podcasts. Wanna get it done this weekend. Just a couple hours here and a couple hours there. Get it all done. Out the door. Put up on patio books. And have that off my shoulders. See the puppy? Yeah. There's another puppy. Once that's done, I'm uh, still putting together hardback print versions of all my books. I uh, did that as a Kickstarter promo years ago and 
the levels of interest that I've seen make it so that I'd probably have to go through Lulu to uh, to print these. Which is a shame because Lulu is incredibly expensive. But I figure put it out there. Let people buy them if they want. I suppose I could offer signed copies, but once again, I don't think there's a whole lot of demand. So, so yeah, I gotta do it because you wanna have all of the money-making ventures available. Can't have too many outlets for your work. I think Dan Sawyer said that to me recently. No such thing as too many outlets. So, yeah. Honestly, I'd like to get caught up on some reading. I listen to audiobooks when I'm driving and uh, recently found a version of Methuselah's Children, the Robert Heinlein book, on the uh, Internet Archive. It's out of copyright or something. And uh, yeah, it was heavily abridged, but it was fun coming home to that story. Like Gulliver's Travels, wrapped around Heinlein's ageless family story. I kind of like the bit at the end where they come back home to. Uh, give you a brief synopsis. This guy found out that he was going to die and he was really, really rich. So he left all of his money in a foundation dedicated to the idea of making it so that people could live as long as they want. This foundation, using all available knowledge about science and best, as they saw it, the best possible way of dealing with this, decided to go the Mendel route and go for selective breeding. They used the foundation money and they found guys and women who had healthy and active grandparents on both sides. And for those families had that feature, they offered a portion of the rich man's money so that they could basically selectively breed for longevity. And after a few hundred years, they had people who were pretty sure they were going to live for three to 500 years long. And that's how the story starts out. Starts out with these families being more or less persecuted 
and harassed by their own government saying you have to give us the secret to your long life. They tell them it's not a secret, it's genetics. It's just, you know, it's just how we're born. And the world's so envious, they can't bring themselves to believe that. So they basically chase them off the planet. These people travel through stars, interstellar distances. They find new alien species, and when they come back home, they're more technologically advanced than ever. It's about 80 years later, and and they're not... The Earthlings aren't mad at them anymore. Because when they left, the Earthlings assumed that they took the secret with them. And so they started looking everywhere for the secret. And they eventually unlocked it. So that all humans found the secret to long life. And so when they get home, these people are saying, like, yeah, you're welcome to come back. Of course, overpopulation's a problem. These guys are going like, that's not a problem. We own our houses. We, we were really rich. We, we own these homes. And they said, oh, yeah, that's the thing. Well, when you left, we uh, declared you dead and took all your stuff. So now it turns into like a Holocaust story, which I thought was pretty clever. It's the Jews coming back to the homeland kind of thing. Anyway. All right, so we are at the door. And hopefully we'll talk again tomorrow.